Have you been stressed, anxious, or worried? Have you felt pangs of loneliness in recent times? Are you longing for greater connection with others in the world around you? In a phrase, are you looking for happiness? You are not alone. Millions of others are seeking this feeling of spiritual, mental, and physical wellness too. This podcast explores the underlying causes of unhappiness and shares with us the secrets of rewriting the frequent thoughts and redirecting the common behaviors that keep us in that state. Join forensic psychologist and best-selling author Dr. Nihal and her guests as they dive deep in the realm of psychological wellness and explore ways of finding happiness on demand. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. I'm Alan Edwards, and I'm here with Dr. Joan Nihal, clinical psychologist and uh, best-selling author of Happy is the New Healthy. And today, Dr. Nihal has a very um, interesting topic called awakening eroticism. What is that, awakening eroticism? Well... Eroticism is best defined as our ability to experience sexual thoughts, desires, and sensations. Esther Perel points out that when it comes to sexuality, there is a deep distinction between animals and humans. Animals have sex because of a procreative urge. Sex in humans is transformed or socialized by eroticism. Perel defines eroticism as an expression of individual or personal freedom, the cultivation of pleasure for its own sake, the capacity of capturing or maintaining aliveness, vibrance, vitality through sex. It's a reconnection with that quality of playfulness, of curiosity. Eroticism is fueled by our imagination. It involves going outside of our usual boundaries. It's a space we enter, a place we go inside of ourselves with another, others, or something we just do by ourselves. It embraces novelty, and novelty in this context is about who we bring to the experience. Eroticism is not spicing up one's sex life with new positions and toys. I want to underscore that. Eroticism is more about the meaning of sex rather than performance or doing sex. Do you remember when you were a child, you played games of make-believe? My brother had mechano sets and cowboys and Indians. I had dolls and tea sets. I would play make-believe with my friends. We even had tea and I really could remember drinking the tea. It was an empty teacup, by the way, and enjoying it. Now, we let our imaginations run wild, and you might be wondering why I'm talking about this. It's because imagination is crucial to awaken our erotic selves. For some, this has been stunted because of the implication that eroticism is bad, awakening our sexuality is sinful and hedonistic. I contend that it is important to make our relationships come alive, to have happy relationships by awakening our imagination. But before we examine imagination, let's examine the components of active communication. People tell me that they're excellent listeners. But if this is so, why is it that we often feel unheard? When I ask people how they listen, they usually respond with, well, I listen with my ears. Isn't that obvious? Here is my acronym for ears. E represents our ability to be empathic with the speaker, to really actively appreciate where the person is coming from. 
A represents attunement or our ability to tune into the person's nonverbal behavior, to their breathing rates, to their posture, to how they deliver their message. From the moment we're born, we tune in as babies to our mother's expressions and gestures. Social scientists call this social mimicry. Look at birds. We do the same thing if we look at birds. Look at their flight formation. It's They are tuned to each other. Yesterday, I was looking at the Pacific Ocean at a flock of Canadian geese, and they were all in linear formation. It was amazing to look at a straight, wobbly line, believe it or not, and they were all following each other. That's what attunement is all about, by the way. R represents our ability to reflect what the person is saying to us before we give our perspective or response. And S represents our ability to be silent, to silent our intrusive thoughts as we actively listen to what the speaker is saying. I suggest we try practicing that with each other. I ask my clients to do this, by the way, and they take a moment to think about it and to do it. It's actually a relationship enhancer when you do it. Perel argues that the quality of our lives is determined by the quality of our relationships, and I'm in full agreement. Eroticism is not sex per se, but the quality of curiosity, spontaneity that makes us feel alive. This landscape is larger, richer, and more intricate than just the physiology or the mechanics of sex. We're responsible for our desire because desires are an expression of our unique free will. No one can force us to want. So if you accept the fact that it is yours, then it is your responsibility to activate it. Think for a moment that freedom always comes with responsibility. So we can turn ourselves on and we can just as rapidly turn ourselves off like a faucet. We have thoughts that will instantly shut us down and thoughts that will keep us open to possibility. Stop this podcast right now and think about it. Fill it out. Think about these thoughts that numb you and things of thoughts. Think of thoughts that fill you with desire. Eroticism finds a fertile ground in the tension between excitement and inhibition. It shows itself in the things we say and do, by how we act, how we think. Eroticism starts with us as individuals and it requires practice. It does not necessarily start by something shared by two or more people. Because it is in sex. Sex, it is sexuality transformed by our imagination, just like when we played as young children and non-judgmentally set our imagination to run wild. It's our thoughts, dreams, desires, even painful memories, which make up our landscape. It's layered with early childhood experiences of touch, play, trauma, which later become the scaffold or the skeleton of our erotic imagination. Eroticism isn't neat, it isn't linear, it isn't sequential. It will show inner struggles, tensions, a mix of anxiety and excitement. Because desire and self-worth go together in order to want. We need to feel deserving. This is a normal, natural desire we have to be all that we can be in terms of receiving and giving pleasure. And guess what? We're all deserving of this. 
my clients often tell me about the amount of times they've had sex. And also they tell me about the duration of sex. Some are more interested in getting it over with in lieu of exploring desires that can turn them on. When we're on our own, when we masturbate, we know how to get the job done through toys, through imagination. We have intense focus followed by a quick finish. That's not eroticism. Eroticism is not a job. We need to be slow and spend some quality time with ourselves to discover what gives us pleasure before we can let the other person in and give them permission to pleasure us. This is not the time to judge ourselves, to look at our bodies as a prison with specific areas that will give us sexual pleasure. No, this is the time to Think about our bodies as a castle or a mansion with turrets and different rooms and light rooms and dark rooms and staircases and doors that I need to explore and I need to open them slowly. We choose to take the time to explore these rooms. I'm talking about self-exploration, about giving up your critical self, that voice within you that's so critical and negative. Take the welcoming voice in as you open up these internal wonders that leave you with unexpected pleasure. The first step is self-care. That's the first step. It begins with getting rid of your inner critic, that voice I was telling you that harps on you, and giving yourself permission to feel beautiful. Yes, I did say that. Desirable. Yes, I did say that too. To enjoy your own company, to be non-judgmental and realistic. This is not the time to say, I'm overweight, I'm not in shape, I'm not as attractive as I used to be. Think of yourself as a castle with many rooms, and you're going through them slowly, with curiosity. Set aside time to explore this part of yourself, to find out what brings energy into your life. Opening the imagination starts with you. Gina Ogden, a therapist, asks her patients to complete the following sentence stem. I turn myself off when? Think about it. I turn myself off when I'm critical of my spouse. I turn myself off when I think of all the jobs I have to do. I think I turn myself off when I think, oh, I'm just too tired. I, I didn't take time for exercise today. I've got so many more chores to do. Oh, I've got to make my peace with the government today. I got to... Notice what we're saying, huh? None of this is related to sex. They are what I call energy sappers. They take away our energy. They take away our vitality. So think about doing it for yourself right now. If you don't believe me, try it. I turn myself off when. And I'm giving you data from my own clients, by the way. So instead of taking energy away, looking at the energy depleters, try doing the same sentence stem with positive ones. I turn myself on when I take time for self-care. I turn myself on when I feel on top of my game. I turn myself on when I exercise. I turn myself on when I connect with other people. Notice what we're saying, when I go for a massage. What am I talking about there? Nothing to do with sex. We're talking about how to elevate that energy quotient that we all have within us.
okay? Do it for yourself and you'll see what happens. And turn on to your five senses. Think of savoring a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. You're really stopping and savoring it. Think of your five senses. senses. The sensation of warm water or hot water on your skin as you bath or shower. Think of the last time you had a shower. Which parts of your body did you not really spend a lot of time on? And why have you learned to shut them off? Do you ignore your stomach because it's not a six-pack? Do you feel unsexy, unattractive because of illness, because of some things that are, have happened to your uterus or breasts or testicles, or because you're going through grief? Everyday stressors make us want to just shut down. Because when we shut down our imagination, we feel we're in control. But when you incorporate eroticism into your self-care plan, it can alter your relationship with control and increase your feelings of well-being. It comes back to being open and responsive instead of being shut down. Wanting is so important. And no one can make us want except ourselves. So we need to focus on what kindles our desire. It comes right back to self-worth. When we feel unattractive, we can't imagine that another person would find us desirable. Let alone do we feel at that point that we're deserving of sensual touch. Look, this self-rejection is something I encourage you to dump in the waste paper basket and get rid of it right now. Change it. And how do you do this? Simple things like, I deserve to take a break. I deserve to rest. I deserve to do things that make me feel better about myself. Notice I'm talking about things that don't have a product to evaluate. It could be a simple thing like listening to music, laying on your sofa, being receptive to nature. How can you awaken your five senses, you might wonder? Well, here is my suggestion. What's your relationship to your body when you're having a shower? What sensations occur when you touch your body? For example, moving from your kneecap to your ankle. Which of your five senses do you use when you make love? Which of the five senses do you hardly ever use? Do you enjoy touching different parts of your body in a non-sexual way? Getting in touch with our body would make a huge difference to the quality of our relationship. You can integrate different types of touch, from gentle stroking to massage to more vigorous touch to sorting out what's best for you. I'd like to think of it as a team sport that you might engage in. For example, if you're part of a basketball team, you would want to make sure that everything was in place. You'd be anticipating winning. You'd be looking forward to putting your best foot forward. You'd be preparing your body physically for this sport. Now, how about starting to be a friend to your body, to make peace with your body as the beginning of the one of the best relationships you can ever invest in? Because I think our body is a precious non-renewable resource. And by awakening the erotic imagination, you can become aware of different parts of your body and how to integrate them. Huh? Often people ask me, why is it so difficult to sustain desire? Often we think about what we should be doing rather than what we'd like to be doing. We want to experience new things with our partners, but we can be afraid or reluctant to tell them. How many of us have been guilty of saying, hmm, I'm just not in the mood? How many of us wonder if we've lost what once made us desirable to our partners? A good question, huh? 
these aren't sexual issues because contrary to what you might think, eroticism is not purely sexual. It is sexuality socialized and transformed by the human imagination. Our imagination will create the plot, trust me. Flirtation, longing, and anticipation all take place within our mind's eye. Eroticism is activated by the pains and pleasures of our complicated past. It will breed hope and possibilities for the future and make us become completely present. So I come back to thinking about your favorite sport and the last time you won. When you go home, you set up a time to practice and that whole ritual of preparation creates anticipation. You can't just say to your mate, ah, do you want to have sex after you've done the dishes? Is that a sufficient warm startup? So if you're in a difficult phase in your life, in your relationship, think of how you can use your imagination to playfully come through. Don't think of frequency and performance. Think instead of vulnerability and exploration that will increase trust between you and your partner when you share your fantasies. That's the glue that will bring you together if you choose to share them. Hmm? Don't have to, but sometimes you might choose to. What else can you do? You can change the context in which you're going to be physically close. You can create the right ambience. You can switch up your routine. Trust me, routine kills vitality and we become boring. Think of things you can do. Think of the things you used to do when you first fell in love. How did your imagination come into play then? How did you seduce your mate then? Can we do some of this today? People engage in games together. Others go for walks together. Some just choose to hang out together. Now, I must tell you about Mary, a client of mine. Mary decided to buy some sexy lingerie at Victoria's Secret. She put them on thinking her mate would be so pleasantly surprised. Well, she was greeted with gales of laughter. He asked her, have you lost your mind? Oh, she was furious. She came and stomped into my office and she said to me, that dot, 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 man, that's what he did. I said, Mary, stop. Did you discuss your fantasy with your mate before? No. Did you keep the receipt at least in Victoria's Secret? She laughed, says, yes, I did. I said, there you go. Well, Maybe you've used it, but that's an ethical issue. Let's just stick to what we're talking about today. Maybe you should share that with your mate, what the fantasy meant for you. And then he could share why he laughed. Then there was another case of uh, John who came to see me, and he was really cross because his wife of 20 years duration refused to wear lingerie. And he said, I don't get it. Why wouldn't she do it? I'd even pay for it. And I said, well, did you discuss it with her? He, yes, he said. She's a feminist. She said, you're just objectifying me. And she refused to do that. I said, well, did you discuss with her what the fantasies meant for you? And then listen to her. No, I didn't. I said, well, that's the important point. To share the fantasies, open up discussion with each other, and then let your imaginations run wild. So you can make a list of what would be sexual turn-ons for you. Put it in a suggestion box and pull it out. And I guarantee you, both you and your mate will be howling with laughter. And it led, leads to that glue, that intimacy, that imagination. And then you can also pick objects that represent experiences when you felt intense pleasure with your partner. Keep those things close by. 
and pick objects that represent when you felt numb. Keep them close by. Share them with each other. Talk about them. Or think in terms of being a director of a movie. How would you create a scene with erotic imagination at work and share it with your mate and vice versa? All of these are ways to break the ice with each other. Because you remember in the past, it was taboo. We didn't talk about these things. Find out from each other how you were loved as children. That's an important piece, huh? Because that will reveal our deepest emotional needs and our vulnerabilities. Now, look, people ask me, when is it appropriate to share your sexual fantasies? And I say, it depends on your relationship and where you're at in your relationship and do you want to share it or not? I leave that up to you. I'm very respectful of individual differences. But you remember, if you're going to share them, please ensure that you have a critical, non-judgmental non audience. Here are some other ways to increase eroticism. Get the right attitude. Eroticism isn't a technique, but an attitude. You do not go to the sex toys. That's not what I'm talking about. This requires comfort with your own body and an attitude of non-judgmental playfulness and openness to exploration, just like when you were a child, a capacity for self-expression, readiness to give pleasure and to be pleasured. Seek out opportunities to be sensual and to expand your capacity to experience and experience and explore physical pleasure. This means being intentional in your actions, such as planning time each week to explore and enjoy your sexuality. It's not necessary to have a partner to do this. You can do this by yourself. So do you have something to bring to each other? Hmm? And that will bring pleasure, the pleasure of anticipation when you meet with your partner. Reignite your passions, engage in activities, interests, personal passions, which define who you are and what makes you an interesting, vibrant person to be with. Take a trip together, go to the beach together, go to the park together, play a new instrument, pick up a new <clears throat> It's important to bring back a fresh sense of excitement and passion to the relationship. You know, what separates us from animals? one of the most important things is our imagination. When you fantasize, you're taking advantage of the novelty that imagination can create to heighten your excitement. And these fantasies are personal and they can be very different, just like two thumbprints are different because we're different people and people will fantasize about different things and not necessarily enact them. But fantasy allows you to flirt with the outrageous and totally out of character sexual behavior without risking harm to anyone. <laughs> Recall an exciting sexual experience in the past. Write about it in your journal. Go for the details. Make it romantic. Share it. Keep it creative and playful. Clients tell me about their sexless life. They ask how often should they have sex? Will, the, will things change? What's wrong with them? Are their hormones out of whack? Prescriptions such as Viagra might be useful. But I don't give advice as to how to do it. I don't subscribe to that. If we just do it, how different are we from other animals? Are we saying that we're going to pro procreate 24-7? I don't think so. If we're just doing it, will we really connect? And what if 
Physical or psychological challenges in our current lives prevent us from engaging in pleasure and connection that we want to experience the most. Um, this reminds me of an older couple who had been married for over 30 years. He had to have a stint. He had to use a catheter at night. But yet that couple learned using their erotic imagination ways to give each other that pleasure, that intimacy, that closeness that was quintessentially theirs. And that's important to underscore. Notice what I'm talking about. I'm saying we're not talking about a job. We're not accountants and mathematicians. We're saying, let's use our imagination. Let's be gentle. Let's be creative. Let's be loving in different phases of life. Yeah, you can be married or have the same partner or you can have several partners over 30 years. Let me explain what I mean. I bumped into this couple in a plane once and you know what they told me? They were so close to each other. I had to ask them, how long have you been married? Oh, he says, I've been married to three times. <laughs> I looked at him and she smiled and he says, yes, I've been married to her but over the last three decades, she's changed. So I've married a different woman. And it's the same woman, but a different phase. Isn't that a beautiful thing to, for us to think about? How the imagination worked for eroticism in this older couple. Yes, Al, they'd been married for over 50 years. I love that story. I always remember it. So here's the thing. We don't want to reduce sex to a function. Because as a clinician, if you're going to tell me it's a function and a sexual dysfunction, we're talking about dysfunction again. And that's not what I'm talking about today at all. I'm talking about the art of lovemaking, not just the mechanics of sex. When you place a premium on performance, it misses what we actually do to feel connected. But when we're alive and present and curious, that can lead to a closer relationship. Then numbers go out the window. We don't have to think of numbers. When was the last time we did it? Was it last month, last year? Sensuality does not lend itself to the rigors of scorekeeping. I want to repeat that. Sensuality does not lead itself to the rigors of scorekeeping. It's not about frequency. It's about creating a new way of being with each other. And it, it involves what we do outside of the bedroom, such as a welcome touch, noticing sensations in your body, giving each other a compliment, inviting your partner to experience some of these sensations with you, perhaps trying new things. How would you describe your relationship? Is there a movie, a song, a poem that would describe it? Was it something you noticed today about your partner? What kinds of things do you enjoy doing together? When it comes down to feeling good, half of it happens between our legs. The other half happens between our ears, the imagination at work, the practice of curiosity, connection, emotional closeness, attunement. The more we engage in being close outside of the bedroom, the more the bedroom becomes another location for us to be close. So let's go back to childhood, to the things we did with our imagination when we played and used that non-judgmental, playful spirit as now you unleash your erotic imagination. Thank you for listening. Do you have any questions for me, Al?
I was wondering, since a lot of this is in a person's mind and you're all about helping people find happiness, what's the first step in awakening eroticism? I think the first step, as I mentioned, is to set time for yourself. That's the behavior. I listed a whole series of behaviors you can do. Set time for yourself to deliberately find out a little bit more about which room in that mansion I need to go to. And I need to explore touch. That's a behavior too. I need to spend time on what's important right now for me. These are all things that we can do, correct? Creating a movie, create, being a director in a movie, sharing your fantasies with the other. These are all things, these are all behaviors that will stimulate the imagination. When I say think about the time when you first fell in love, that was your imagination at work. It wasn't sex. Correct? And I don't want to be personal and ask you, but you will admit, that, okay, now you're grinning. Okay, I get it. But you will admit, I know, there's a big grin now. Okay, now you're blushing. Okay, I won't go any further and ask you. I think you've answered the question. <laughs> I have um, probably answered the question with expression, but it's... Um... It's interesting that you talk about sustaining the magic, if you will, uh, through awakening eroticism, particularly for people that have been married a long time or been with a partner for a long time. And it's all about keeping it fresh, is it not? Novelty, curiosity, vitality, energy were the other words I use. And if you're in a rut, you can spin your wheels or you can get out of the car and look outside and sort out different ways of being with each other. I think it's very important, as I mentioned, that older couple I met who had been married, as he said, oh, I've been married three times, but I could see that they were so connected and I needed to know more. And he explained that in each phase, as he was with Anne, that was her name, by the way, there was a different woman that came out and it was a different woman he fell in love with. Uh, pre uh, premenopausal, if you will, uh, before they had children, when they were younger, when they became grandparents. All of these were phases in life. And developmentally, their imagination led to eroticism. They talked about, they set aside time. You see, this is the important thing, Al. The behavior that leads to happiness, the happy habit, if you will, is to set aside time. Use your ears. I use that metaphor of the ear. Use your ears to really attune to your partner. And it's easy with negativity bias, which we are programmed to look at, to find criticism in our current mate. It's easy to say, I've fallen out of love, but have you fallen out of time to use your imagination? Have you attuned to your other, to your partner? What are the things that really turn you off? You'll find if you answer that question with the average person, the things that turn you off from sex or would be that sexually, the imagination, if you will, is tiredness, exhaustion, being busy doing other things. These are energy depleters. How do you get that energy back up? How do you feel on top of your game? Because when you're feeling good about yourself, guess what? the imagination comes into play and eroticism is fueled. And I'm, I'm saying you can be as stressed out as you wish and you can have sex for sure. Let's just do it and get it over with. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the imagination, the erotic imagination that says to me, I want to get close to you. And I'm thinking of that older couple with a catheter. Now, if they were just thinking of sex, she'd be complaining to me, well, we don't do it. They had a different way of being 
physically close and intimate. What would you say to people that feel that, yeah, I got fantasies, but I, I would be embarrassed to, to share those with my partner and I'd feel very vulnerable. What's your response to that? Good question. One of the things we have to ask ourselves is, is this something that my partner would find interesting? Is this something I feel safe to share with my partner? Do I feel that my partner will denigrate me or judge me incorrectly if I shared it? If these questions are answered, then you can share. Remember, too, when I talked about fantasies, I said sometimes it's appropriate to share and sometimes it isn't, because these are not fantasies you're going to act out on. These are fantasies that are quintessentially yours. And I'm not talking about pornography now. That's completely different. Com pornography is for men, and what happens is in the fantasy that happens in pornography, the man, no matter how insecure he is, pleasures the woman and feels he's done well. He did a good job. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the erotic imagination is completely different. You have fantasies, yes. And some of them I want to share with you. This is what I'd love to see happen, as a couple said to me recently. My fantasy, and they did it in a session with me, she had one and he had one, they shared it with me in the office. And one of the ones that he had was, I have a fantasy of, of being on a moonlight beach with you, in the nude, and us coupling on the beach. And she said to me, she said to him, well, why didn't you share it with me? We were in Maui, we could have done it, you know? And notice that that was one that they could share. And she had one with him. And hers was completely different. My fantasy with you is that we have a hot a balloon fight in our kitchen, burst the balloons, and make love on the floor because it's it's lino, so it, won't, it would be easy for me to mop it up after. Notice her fantasy and his, and they were able to fulfill each other's fantasies. You know, he enjoyed that one. There were paroxysms of laughter in the clinic that day. You know, and people asked me, "What's happening next door with you guys? You're laughing all the time." It was just hilarious. But so, in response to your answer, some fantasies you want to share, and some you don't want to. My rule is usually necessary, kind, and true. This is Nihal's rule. You don't have to buy into it. But if it's not necessary to tell your mate, if it's not kind, if it's not true, invest in duct tape, please, and put it over here, right? But if it's necessary and kind, well, two out of three, mm -mm, it's got to be three out of three. But the, I would say to you, Al, as you feel closer and more vulnerable with your mate, you should be able to share these things with each other, right? Why not? And then, you know, that's what I said when I said, let's use, some people are so uptight. I say, get a suggestion box, will you? Go to the dollar store, get a little box. You don't invest in a lot because this might be all garbage anyway. Put it in the kitchen, throw your suggestions in. This is a turn on, this is a turn on, this is a turn on. One of my couples said, I want you to brush your teeth before you come on to me. Okay, fine. I get it. All right. <laughs> so you see what I mean? If you put these things in a suggestion box and you each pull it out, you can laugh, but you, there's a lot of truth in it, right? So those are practical things, suggestions for turn-ons. Fantasies are a different realm, and some of them you want to share and some you don't. It's all good. Before we close off, is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners and viewers? Enjoy being playful. Let your imaginations run wild and silence that critical inner voice. That's what I would like to say. Well, I want to thank Dr. Joan Nihal, as always, uh, very insightful, very evocative. 
Uh, very interesting subject matter. Uh, Happy is the New Healthy is your book, a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Your website, Dr. Nihal, is? Uh, www.nihal.com. We urge everybody to go there for more information. Uh, there's a lot on your website. There's a lot in your book. Happy is the New Healthy. And thank you all for watching and being part of this this uh, session with Dr. Nihal. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for joining this discussion on happiness. We hope this helps to inspire you to lead a more joyful life. To dive deeper into the subject of happiness, be sure to check out Dr. Nihal's book, Happy is the New Healthy, available as an ebook or hardcover. For additional resources, visit our website at drnihal.com. Until next time, stay happy.